Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. So I've decided that I've changed things. I'm going to borrow money that I'm not going to pay back. I'm going to buy things at retail. And I'm going to be as foolish with my money as I can be to set a great example for you, April Fool's. You got me. No, just kidding. You were, you were looking like, what's he doing? I was looking for the defibrillator because I thought something was happening. Yeah, yeah. Like, my, I'd lost my mind. The reality is, no, this is all about helping you make better financial decisions in your life. Speaking of which, something that you might have thought was an April Fool's joke, maybe you're into it. NFTs. Even Saturday Night Live is in on it. If I had to explain NFTs, I'd probably say, hey, here's the thing about NFTs. It's a non-fungible token, you see. Non-fungible means that it's unique. There can only be one like you and me. <laughs> NFTs are insane. insane. Built on a blockchain. That's right. A digital ledger of transactions. It records information on what's happening. When it's minted, you can sell it as art. And this concludes my rapping part. Wow. That's pretty much what I would have said, so thank you. <laughs> Love it. They're so clever. It's funny how something will come out of nowhere and suddenly be such a cultural phenomenon, and then it just fades into oblivion. I don't know if NFTs will fade into oblivion, but what a weirdo thing. So you'll take something that could already be out there. Here's an example. It could already be a picture of something. It could already be uh, like a video highlight of a sports star or your favorite musician or whatever. And so people can see it, they can store it, they can do whatever, right? Well, then this brilliant blockchain idea, why don't you create a baseball card kind of phenomenon and limit the number of units available? So there's only one of these or five of these or three of these that are certified that they are um, original protected copies. Now, remember, there's already all the others floating around. And people are trading these NFTs, these digital images, for huge money, massive money. Uh, it, it's crazy beyond belief. So the idea of blockchain, which is something I've tried to explain in simple English before, is it's an electronic ledger of transactions and, and representation of value, one thing, one person, on and on, is things are sold and bought and whatever, you keep that record. And it's part of what uh, is behind the curtain with cryptocurrencies. This is just the latest manifestation of looking for a market where one has not existed and creating a new method of generating income for people from these. You know, one of the oddest... 
plays people are doing with the NFTs is they'll have a highlight from a not well-known, not very successful or young sports person, a professional. And they buy the NFT of them uh, in basketball, let's say doing a dunk or whatever, hoping that that person will break through and that NFT you own will become extremely valuable down the road. That's the idea anyway. And this is pretty novel that people have gotten into this so much. I have no interest in it at all. If you still are like scratching your head, what is this all about? Go look at the Saturday Night Live clip (laughs) and you will at least be entertained because the Saturday Night Live clip explains it much better than pointy-headed people with the federal government who've attempted to explain it. So how many has your husband bought so far, Krista, Florida International University football stars? Uh, none that I'm aware of. <laughs> so, Because your husband's obsessed with FIU. He Their is. Their mascot is the... Um, the Panthers, the, the Golden Panthers. The Golden Panthers. Yeah. I how bought- many games did they win this past season? I don't know. That's so mean. I did buy him the rights, the uh, actual rights to a Getty image of um, an amazing play when they, back when they beat University of Miami and um, had it framed for him for Christmas, had it printed and framed, but it cost me a lot to get the rights to that photo. See, that's the same kind of what you did pre-NFT years ago is the idea of what this is about now. Yep. So now you could buy Mike the NFT of that, and he would be able to say, I have one of only two of these or one of one or whatever, mm-hmm. and pay so much more than you paid Getty Images for the last one. Yeah, let's not give him any ideas. Okay. Okay, Walt in Texas needs your ideas. He says, my stepdaughter is moving from our home in Austin to Galveston, where she'll be a medical resident for three years. She drives a car that is titled in my name, and she is listed as an additional driver on the auto policy. Knowing that she cannot remain on my policy after she moves, I would like to purchase a new policy with her as the main driver at her new address. On the other hand, I could gift her the car, which would allow her to obtain her own policy, which I would pay for until she gets on her feet financially. The car is worth less than $10,000. What are your thoughts, Clark? Your idea that you stated at the end is my favorite. If you're happy for her to have the car, You can gift it to her. The amount of money is well below the ceiling that gets you even into any question about having to keep records for gift tax purposes. And so I would just give her the vehicle, and then she is on her own with it. She insures it on her own. Even if you help her with the insurance, she is doing it on her own. And as a resident, she's in a position that she'll be making enough probably that she'll be able to afford. I know residents don't make a huge amount, but she may even be able to afford to insure it since you will have given her the vehicle. And Bruce in Utah says, Clark, would purchasing ETFs that specialize in dividend yielding stocks be a good way to make passive income? Any tips for getting started? Bruce, that is a very viable strategy, one that has worked for people over the years. If you're not familiar with what we're talking about, there are certain stocks tend to be in specific industries. Uh, Utilities would be an example of one where companies pay 
higher dividends. And I had somebody recently say, what is a dividend? What it is is that a company rewards its shareholders with a payment typically made in 90-day cycles for however many shares you own. You get so much money per share in just a cash payment. It's a reward for being invested in the company. There are stocks that make a special emphasis on paying dividends, supporting ongoing income for their holders versus stocks that are more about increasing the value of the shares. And having a high dividend paying or a dividend paying stock-oriented ETF is a way to generate current income is a very good strategy. And the big thing with the ETFs, there are so many available you need to read the underlying goals of those ETFs. They will, they'll be explained in fairly close to simple English. And then among ones of similar goal, you look at the cost of that ETF is the biggest factor in how much money you'll make over time. Okay, Anonymous says, due to recent health issues, I've had to change careers from a welder to something less physically demanding. My father and uncle co-own a small local plumbing business and are looking to get out of it in the foreseeable future. It has been in the family for two generations and is over 60 years old. It's running downhill due to terrible office help, but has a great name and client list in the surrounding county. I would love to buy it from them and run it from the, within the office rather than from the field as they do. I don't have the money to buy it, and was thinking I could pay them both a pension as a way to quote-unquote pay them for the ownership. I'm looking for advice on how I could get started on that path. So uh, the thing is, you don't do quote-unquote a pension. What you do is you do a buyout agreement where you pay them over time to purchase the business. So you pay whatever down payment you can afford to pay, and then you have an agreement that is a buy agreement where they hold a note and you pay against the note over time. This is a circumstance where it would be an in-the-family kind of transaction, but you still need, so you don't generate any hurt feelings, you need to have a lawyer who specializes in business buys and sells who makes sure that the agreement is drawn fairly for you to be able to succeed and for the two of them to be able to make their money. And service is everything in a plumbing business and having people in the office where you make sure that the customer is being well-respected, being treated politely is so essential. And so you're onto something there, but you got to make sure that in the transition, you don't lose the very experienced and qualified plumbing staff along the way. And Tina in Florida says, I understand that at age 50 and above, you can contribute $7,000 to the Roth IRA. I'm turning 50 in June, 2022. I'm trying to figure out when to change my biweekly contributions. Can I contribute the extra $1,000 starting in tax year 2022, or do I have to wait until 2023? No way, no way. You do it in the year you turn 50, and I'm so excited for you that you are determined to save additional money for your future. Now, one other thing to look at, I don't know how you get your health coverage, but a way you can boost the amount of money you're saving for your retirement years 
is if your health plan makes you eligible for a health savings account, that's an even better place to stash cash for your retirement years than a Roth IRA. And that would be an additional way for you to shove more money aside. The reason an HSA is more advantaged than a Roth is you get an upfront tax benefit, the money grows tax-free, and then spent for eligible expenses is spent tax-free. So it makes it one step better than a Roth, although it's more limiting and that it's only for healthcare expenses and in this situation for later in life. And next, I want to talk about saving money at the store and there's a riddle to it. I'm also going to share with you a personal story which was just crazy going out and shopping. So I had an experience recently, Krista, one that was traumatic for me, but is part of your life regularly. Oh, okay. Do tell. We had a house guest who said, you know, you haven't picked what we're going to have for dinner any night. And I said, what's your favorite food? And he said, sushi. And we all kind of stood there and, you know, Uh kept a calm expression on our faces. (laughs) Uh Because that's what he wanted us to have for dinner. So I said, okay, we'll go pick it up. And uh, so we went to Whole Paycheck, also known as Whole Foods, (laughs) to get the sushi. And the Whole Foods we went to has not caught on. It's a relatively new one, been open about six months. We park right at the space closest to the front door, walk in, and there's nobody, nobody other than employees. I found three other customers in the entire Whole Foods. It was a big one, too. Wow. So then I figured out why. We get over to the sushi, and these little packs of sushi, the cheapest one was $12. A couple of them were $14, and one of them was $16. Mm. So we obviously left without buying any sushi there. And I was thinking about how... Amazon realizes that uh, things aren't working so well for them having bought Whole Foods, but they're learning about grocery. And Amazon's going through a transition where they're opening uh, various forms of Amazon fresh experimental grocery stores. And that's where they're going to try to make their mark. I mean, Whole Foods, there's a market for it among very, very, very wealthy people, but it can't support a big national effort. I was just shocked how much it cost. So then we went to a regional supermarket chain that uh, some people are familiar with in the country called Publix. Mm -hmm. And the sushi there was right around $6 for the same size containers. That's where I buy sushi. At Whole Foods. Yeah. And then, so we bought one of each of the types and we all sat around and we tried every kind of sushi. And you know what? We actually enjoyed it. Well, you were predisposed to enjoy it because anything you spend less money on tastes better, right? <laughs> well, those tuna roll-up thingies, what, yeah. what do you call those? I don't tuna? know. I, do, I buy the vegetarian sushi. I love that stuff. Oh, we had one of those too. That was yuck. But anyway, <laughs> so, but I really liked the tuna one and it was also a very important pricing lesson. Well, then right after that, the German supermarket chain that's been opening up along the eastern seaboard, Lidl, 
at a sushi sale for $1.99 a pack. Mm. So, I mean, now I had to buy it. <laughs> so I then had the $1.99 Lidl sushi. And, and that seemed, tasted even better? Seemed really great <laughs> to me, too. But Saving it, money is so good. But anyway, you know, when you go into a grocery store, whatever you go in for, the reality is that we buy other things that we don't necessarily need. Um, they look fun. They may be cookies, crackers, snacks, whatever. That's, that's why they're typically at the end cap because we grab them as an impulse. A new survey says a third of Americans say by their own telling that they always overspend when they go to the store. And, you know, we talk about those, those rules of thumb that you go in always with a list. You never go into a grocery store hungry. We've talked about the difference, just like I was laying out whole paycheck, regional chain Publix, and then the German Lidl, the price differences on an item. And yes, there are enormous price differences that we have more and more ability to take advantage of. You know, Winco Foods keeps growing around the United States, Aldi is now, I think they're the third largest supermarket chain in the United States, or soon will be. Um, we've got all these discounters that are taking more and more market share, not to mention the warehouse clubs that are becoming a big player in food. But the real ultimate problem for your wallet is I've discovered after having had both my shots, because for a year, during, it sounds like I had rabies shots or something, <laughs> having my, my Moderna vaccines for coronavirus. You know, for a year, the only grocery shopping we did was delivery or curbside pickup. And what has shocked me is that now going back in the stores, I'm spending more on groceries than even with all the ripoff surcharges that come with delivery. And way more than with curbside pickup, because usually curbside pickup, you're paying nothing extra for that. That the impulse buying that you do when you're in a grocery store is a Bermuda Triangle for your wallet, regardless of where you go. I mean, that would be true even in whole paycheck. You could leave a month's pay there by going inside, yeah. only half a month's pay if you did curbside pickup because of the impulse items you wouldn't buy. Uh, but I'm, I really have learned something that when you, when you buy you know, on a store's app or curbside pickup, let's say as an example, you tend to be much more methodical about what you buy. But when you're in person in a store, you buy things. So here's the annex to the Lidl story. So I have a real weak spot for marzipan. Mm -hmm. You know what marzipan is? Yep, I bought it for you before. I All know right, you love so, it. So Lidl being a European-owned supermarket chain, they had uh, a marzipan section, seasonal section. You can't believe how much I spent on all that marzipan that never would have happened mm -hmm. if I was doing a curbside pickup or in Lidl's case delivery. And so I, I saw right then and there face to face how much we spend when we shop, when we're in person. 
So I've discovered that curbside pickup that really grew in popularity because of coronavirus will have legs going forward, but is better for you than it is for the store. How much did you spend on the marzipan? About $12. <laughs> That's nothing, man. You should see me in the Bermuda Triangle for me, which is Target. Like, I can't grocery shop there anymore because I see all this stuff for my house. And I'm like, oh my gosh, okay. I need that. <laughs> so Target's a male-female thing because my wife and my daughters love shopping at Target. And as a guy, I walk into Target and I don't see anything that appeals to me. Wow. That doesn't happen to me. Now I go into Walmart. I'm like, whoa, how did I ring up Walmart? I walk around. I want that. I want that. I want yeah. that. I, I go in Target. I don't see anything exciting for me. Oh it, it is a women's oriented store completely. Guilty. All right. Should we get to some questions? Let's do it. Anonymous says, can I use Mechanical Turk to have people fill out surveys from survey junkies and pay them less than I make to have a constant flow of income? Well, you're not the first person to think about that, running your own survey aggregator. The people you would have working for you pretty quickly would figure out that they would make more money without you than they would make through you. So I don't think that's going to be a great thing. Now, we have a review at Clark.com of Mechanical Turk and other uh, surveys, survey sites, and the reality you don't make a lot of money anyway. Even if you were operating as your own aggregator, you're not going to make enough to make it worth your time. And Jean in North Carolina asks, she says, everyone in my family needs some sort of dental work, like removing wisdom teeth, a new crown, and fillings. We are considering going to Costa Rica and getting treatment abroad. Which organization is reputable and is dental tourism a safe way to go? So dental tourism is every time we've ever talked about it has infuriated dentists who have listened to the podcast. And dental tourism is very, very much a thing for Americans in Costa Rica and Mexico and for people from around the Western world in Hungary. And people will typically either use it as a purpose-oriented trip only just to get dental care, or they will use it, the reason they call it tourism, medical tourism as well, is people may also uh, incorporate it into a vacation and pay more than pay for the vacation and what they save for the dental care or for the medical care. For medical tourism, it's a much easier process to vet the quality of a facility you might go to abroad. There's the Joint Commission International. We have a briefing on that, again, at Clark.com. But for dental tourism, there's not anything equivalent for you to know that a dentist is going to be really great. If you do a Google search or something like that for dental care in Costa Rica or Mexico or, or in Europe, you'll find that the, the sites that are available are more advertorial in nation, nature than true solid review sites that you can trust. So I don't think you're going to be able to find online who you should use in Costa Rica. 
what you want to do is you want to get on message boards and see what people are saying about who they saw, what kind of experience they had. Try to find out from other people who've gone overseas for dental tourism, in your case specifically in Costa Rica, why they used who they used, why they like who they used, how long they've been using them, and all the rest, to try to make the best decision you can word of mouth. There are dental tourism sites you'll find specifically about Costa Rica, but I've not found one specifically that does a hands-off kind of review of dentists that I feel you can trust. And I want to thank you for being a part of Team Clark. And if you enjoy our podcast, please subscribe, review us, and share us with your friends. 